Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us right now and your love for us. We thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you. We ask that you would now come and speak to us. Open our hearts to hear your voice. Thank you for your word. Even that we have it is a sign that you love us and you uh, intend us not harm but good. Come, Lord, and speak. We love you. We welcome your voice. Jesus' name. A week and a half ago, Jade and I sold our home. <clears throat> yeah. Last Thursday, we closed on uh, our house. It was the first house that we had lived in together uh, since we've been married. We're currently living in Essex in a a month-to-month rental, which the Lord supernaturally provided. But last night, as we were driving into Beverly, um, seeing all the Christmas lights, and we drove past our old home just to kind of peek in the windows and be a little sketchy to see what it was now looking like. Jay just made the comment, oh, I wish we were in Beverly. And there was just this sense of, hey, Essex is great, and we have a great place to live, but this is, this is our town, and these are our people, and this is our neighborhood. And so there's this sense of kind of longing for something that, in some ways, we had lost. And we wanted to sell our home because of uh, just the different spacious issues that it had. It was difficult to host people there or small groups because the kids' bedrooms were right off the living room and getting them to bed and having people over is just like a really tough dynamic. And it was a really good home to us. But at the end of the day, you know, we've sensed that the Lord was leading us to move forward and to find something else. And we felt like he had, he had given us kind of this fall timeline of like, okay, put your house on the market in the fall and I'm going to give you a new home. So half of that happened. <clears throat> The other half didn't. And so we're in this place of waiting for what we felt like God was leading us to do, but it hasn't happened. Now, this is not a major life crisis issue. It's where we live. It's an important thing. So it's a very limited you know, area if you could even use the word darkness. You know, it feels like, hey, we felt like God was leading us in this way. It didn't happen. That's kind of a letdown. Many of you have uh, areas in your life that you feel some darkness. You feel like you've been waiting for something that maybe God has promised or that you feel like is kind of, you know, what you've been expecting to happen and it hasn't happened. There's a place of lack. There's a place of waiting. There's, there's a, an area of darkness. You've been here maybe the past two weeks. You've heard our last two messages in this Shine series that there is a light in this world. There actually is hope for all the brokenness and the mess of this world. His name is Jesus. You heard Neil talk about how this light wins the fight every time that darkness cannot overcome the light. But maybe you're thinking, okay, well, where is that light? 
There is one, and it wins the fight against the darkness, but where is it? I mean, how do I access the things that God has promised in his word or to me personally, or even just the difficulties of this world, the things that are happening in your life, where is the light? There's one idea that I believe is the, is the key idea in this passage that Steve just read that is a game changer. And it's this. God is always looking to let people in. God likes to let people in. God wants to draw people into the light. That is his character. That is his nature. And that is what he is all about. It's drawing people in to who he is and to what he is doing. Now, we see this all through the Christmas story. If you have some time over the next few weeks, I don't know what your family traditions are, but a lot of families, and you sit down on Christmas and you read through kind of Luke 1 and 2, it's kind of has basically all of those different Christmas stories in it, except for maybe the, 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 uh, the three wise men, and you have to turn to Matthew for that. Um, but this theme of God is always looking to let people in is all over this Christmas story. Now, if you know the story, right, in the beginning of Luke, it talks about how this, there's, this, there's this husband and wife, Elizabeth and Zechariah. We talked about them a couple weeks ago. And interestingly enough, God lets them in on what he is doing. Zechariah is in the temple, right? He's doing his priestly thing. He's a priest. And this angel appears and tells him that he's going to have a son, even though him and his wife are really old, right? He lets him in on what's happening. And then Elizabeth, right? She, she is let in when Mary comes to visit her. She says, the baby leaps for joy. And then she, she gives like what's called a prophecy where she's speaking kind of from what God is communicating to her in that moment of saying who this child in Mary is going to be. Uh, God lets Mary in on this plan, right? Everyone kind of knows that story. This angel appears and says, you're going to have a child. She's like, well, I'm not married. How's that going to happen? You know, Holy Spirit's going to come on you. Okay, that's confusing, but I trust you. That's kind of the gist of it, right? God's letting her in on what's happening in this plan that's unfolding. You know, the, the, you know, the classic Linus story, right? The shepherds in the fields, right? They are led in on what God is doing. He sends all these angels to say, hey, guys, this is what just happened. Go celebrate. Right? And so the passage that we see today, it's the same thing happening. Here's this guy, Simeon. Right? It says that the Holy Spirit told him he wouldn't die until he saw the coming king, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. All those things are kind of synonyms. Now, I don't think it says that anywhere in the Old Testament. And there was a man, there will be a man, Simeon, who will not die until he sees the Christ. Hezekiah 3.7, right? Pretty sure that's not in there, and I see Jeremy Tyndall nodding his head in agreement. <laughs> so the Lord, somehow, the Bible is saying the Lord communicated him that fact in some way to him. Now, it doesn't tell us anything about this guy. It doesn't say he's the high priest or he's some special guy. It just says there's a man named Simeon. And God told him that this is what was going to happen. It's pretty incredible. Same thing for um, this woman, Anna. 
right? She is somehow, when she sees Jesus, she's led into some kind of supernatural knowledge of who this child is going to be. And then she starts sharing it with everybody, right? So we see over and over again in this passage, God is letting people in to what he's doing. But that's just a small piece of it. That's a small window into what God is doing in everyday people's lives of letting them into his story. In the center of this passage, we see Simeon's speech that gives us the grand cosmic idea of what is happening. Because, guys, as we walk through our everyday lives, God is always working. God is always at work. He is always letting us in, inviting us into something. It's just really difficult to see that sometimes. We don't always have the window into what is actually happening, what is being accomplished all around us. So somehow in this passage, these two things are combined. God's intersection into everyday people's lives and what that is actually doing. Because Simeon speaks a prophecy, you know, a kind of a word from the Lord. And he talks about how, right, this child will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for his people Israel. There's the grand cosmic explanation for what is going on with all these weird occurrences of angels visiting and people getting pregnant when they're not married and, you know, all this different stuff. And Zechariah can't talk for a while, right? And here's what's really happening. God is sending his son to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for his people Israel. Now, what that's saying is, right, kind of going back all the Old Testament, right, Israel was God's chosen people. And they're, they're waiting because of all of their kind of history. I won't go through the whole thing, but they had some good times and then they had some bad times. And Neil kind of mentioned this because of their disobedience, God disciplined them. And they were conquered by other nations. But all of this time, they're waiting for this promised person that's going to come and rescue their nation. That's what they're expecting. And in Luke chapter 1, that's what's communicated to Mary and Elizabeth. But on top of that, this is the first place in the Gospel of Luke we see that this is actually extending. It's not just about Israel. It's about the entire world. So it's glory for Israel. It's, it's, it's the goodness of God to Israel that God is going to keep his promise to send someone to rescue them from their oppressors. But it's grander than that because it's a revelation to the Gentiles who at this point do not have the same understanding of God that the Jewish people have. God is doing a big thing of letting people in. There's exclusion from God because of the sin, the evil, the wickedness that has been in people all through history. And what is God about? God likes to let people in. And that is why he sent Jesus. Jesus came so that all people could be let in to the family of God and to what God is doing. God is looking to let people into the light. Always. He's searching. He's looking. He's working. He wants to bring people in. He's the ultimate inviter. He's the best host. He's the awesome party thrower. 
And he wants everyone there. That is the nature of our God. He is always looking to let people in. My wife's um, parents were here a couple weeks ago for my ordination celebration. My father-in-law is is an interesting guy. He's a farmer. He farms uh, very large areas of corn and uh, spends a lot of time in a combine and a tractor. So he listens to a lot of, you know, sermons and podcasts and books on tape and all these different things because they're all automated. You know, you can set the GPS on these things to be accurate within an inch. It's incredible. So you're just kind of sitting there, and then when you get to the end of the row, sometimes you turn it around, but it actually will do it automatically if you don't feel like doing that. So I don't even know why you're in the tractor, actually. I mean, I'm not sure what you do besides turn it on and hit go. But all that to say, he reads a lot of books, you know, listens to them, whatever, as he's, as he's doing a lot of things. And he's kind of a thinker, you know, not kind of. He's a, he's, a, he's a deep thinker. He likes to process things. All that to say, he was telling me about this book that he's been listening to. It's called Imagine Heaven. Have I mentioned this before? There's a pastor somewhere in America. I can't remember where he's from. But he interviewed over or around 1,000 people that have had near-death experiences. Okay. And he says, actually, that, that there are studies that have shown that, like, 1 in 25 people have a near-death experience. Okay, so, you know, watch out. Okay? What was crazy is he told me one story, and I kind of read a little bit on Amazon because you can kind of cheat and read a few pages and there look inside this book feature. And there's a story about a guy that, that had a very awful, uh, in some ways, near-death experience, experience in that he did not see the light. He saw the darkness. And it was awful. And there were all these people kind of gathering around him and just like tearing at him and like tearing at his flesh and speaking all this awful stuff to him and just kind of like eating him alive almost. And that was just a piece of it. But all that to say that in those moments when he was just kind of being destroyed, a voice came into his head that sounded like his own voice and it said, pray to God. And then he doubted that because I think he was an atheist, he said, or totally didn't believe in God. And then he heard it a second time. And he's getting more and more desperate because he's like, where am I? This is darkness. All these things that feel like people are just like destroying me and they're hating me and speaking all this negativity over me and just awful stuff that he couldn't even repeat. Here's the voice again. Pray to God. And eventually through this, this process, as he's either dead at this point and they're resuscitating him or, you know, whatever you want to consider if this person's really dead or not. Cause then when they come back, it's kind of like, well, were they dead? You know, was their heart stopped their brain function? I don't know all the science behind that, but at some point he prays to God. And then something else comes back to him, which is the song. Jesus loves me. As soon as he starts praying to God, all the darkness starts getting really angry, but it starts moving away. <clears throat> and then when he starts to sing that song, Jesus loves me, and he gets the words all mixed up and he starts to, you know, throw a couple of things from the, you know, constitution in there and, you know, different things, <laughs> declaration of independence, the darkness just flees. And all of a sudden the light floods in and there's this person walking next to him who is like the embodiment of light. Now you don't have to believe that. And you can't take every near death experience and say, Oh, this is, this is the truth. You know, and the author even says that, you know, he's interviewed so many people, but what he's looking for is common themes. But what stuck out to me is, and isn't it amazing that God is always looking to let people in? He's not trying to keep people out of his family. He's trying to get them in. Think about Jesus on the cross. Here's a man, a criminal or a rebel or whatever you want to consider that's next to him. 
And in his last moments of his life, he doesn't have any theology. He doesn't know what he's doing. He just cries out to this other guy that somehow seems like he was a holy man because he won't curse him even though he's cursing him. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. God is always looking to let people in. Incredible. Incredible. Given who we are. The darkness that we've caused and the darkness that we're in. So how do we get let in? I mean, how does this process work? So you're still not really telling me, Brian, like, where are the light's coming from? Because I'm in the darkness and I don't see it. I need a place to live. You know, I need freedom from this sin. Hope for my family or my marriage or whatever it might be. Is there some way that we kind of partner with God in this? Yes. God lets us in when we simply look to the light. God lets us in when we look to the light. It's that simple. God's not making this complicated because he's looking to let people in. But we have a choice to make. We can choose to let that light in. We can choose to look to that light. Or we can refuse it. We see that in this passage. Now, these characters, it's just so interesting. There's themes that Luke is, is teasing through as he's describing these characters. You know, he could have talked about their height and their weight and their IQ, or if they had that back then. You know, he could have talked about all kinds of things, but you see a very interesting thing coming up in the first two chapters of Luke. It's their obedience. It's this theme of humility. And it's a theme of waiting in hope. Humility, obedience, and waiting in hope. Zechariah and Elizabeth in chapter 1 of Luke. It's, it takes the time to say that they were, they were righteous people, that they were blameless. You know, they, they essentially, it wasn't saying they are perfect, but they, they tried to do what was right. It says they, were walked, they walked blamelessly before God. Mary, okay? Blessed are you, like highly favored one of God. Twice in the passage, the encounter that she has with the angel, it's said that she is highly favored. She's favored of God. That probably has something to do with the fact that she is someone that has walked in obedience. Now, I'm not saying we earn God's favor or anything like that, but there's a, there's a certain level that God is communicating here. Of these are the people that he is, he is choosing to let in on what he is doing. They have, they have looked to the light at some point in their life. Simeon and Anna, both characterized as these holy, righteous people. Anna especially is interesting. Um, she's fasting and praying and basically living in the temple all the time, right? The shepherds, okay, they're not really characterized as righteous people, but it's interesting that they they immediately obey what the angels tell them to do, right? They could have said, whoa, that was freaky. Let's get out of here, Right? Because it was probably pretty scary, a whole host of angels. You know, most of the time, the response to an angel in the Bible is immediate fear, okay? Because you're in the presence of some being that is incredibly powerful. So we see this, this theme of obedience. We also see humility, okay? Um, Mary and Joseph seems to be this humble origin thing going on. The, the little line in this passage about the two turtle doves or a pair of, um, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, that's an Old Testament quote. And it's talking about how that was the sacrifice you're supposed to bring to the temple after a woman has a baby so that she would be considered clean. 
uh, that was the one for the poor people. Because the, the, if you had money, actually the real request was a lamb, but then it said if you don't have the money, you can do, you know, you can do some birds. So there seems to be a hint there. It's not definitive, but that they maybe didn't have a lot of money. Jesus is also Mary's firstborn. He, she puts him in a manger. You know, okay, scoop out all the hay and the, you know, the, the spit from the animals that have been eating there and then put your firstborn in there. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure that's what everyone wants to do for their kid, right? It's not exactly this, this characteristic of this, this, you know, high and lofty social status and money and wealth and power and prestige and all these things. Like, they're putting their kid in a manger. That's a trough. It's a bucket. Here you go, Jesus, a bucket, right? That's all we've got. Shepherds. Lowest class, kind of on par with tax collectors, like people that were despised. Uh, reason some people think is because, you know, if you read the Old Testament, Abraham's a shepherd and, you know, gathering flocks. But then when they moved down to Egypt, when Israel moves down to Egypt, uh, the Egyptians despised shepherds because they were agriculturalists, right? And what do animals do? They eat, they eat the crops. So there's this kind of shepherd farmer thing. So Israel, there's a sense that, during their time of Egypt, they might have picked up this cultural thing that, like, looked down on shepherds. And so shepherds were, were kind of like a lower-class person. They were often looked on as being dishonest, uh, not trustworthy. Their, their defense, their, their testimony wasn't really valid in court. All these different things. Again, humble people that God is letting in. Uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Okay, so Zechariah, there's some... There's some um, you know, pride there and that he's a priest and he's, you know, serving in the temple, but they didn't have a kid. Again, back then, huge deal. That would be to Elizabeth, especially to her shame and, and, you know, kind of, that's a lot of humility there that going through all those years of just kind of waiting for a child. Am I making the point? Okay, good. Here's another one. Anna. Okay. She's a widow, low social status. She's of the tribe of Asher. She's not of the tribe of Levi. She doesn't really belong in the temple, so to speak. She is married for seven years, presumably maybe around age 14. So that brings her to 21. And then you've got 84, either 80, it's, the text is unclear. It's either 84 years of being a widow or she was 84. Either way, that is a long time, right? Humility. Waiting. Elizabeth knows about Waiting. She's already advanced in years. She's been waiting for a child her whole life. Mary, waiting in the sense of waiting on God's timing and not taking things into her own hands. Let it be done, as Neil said, according to your servant. That's a big deal to be pregnant back in that culture when you're not married. There's a lot of shame associated with that. She's waiting on God. Uh, obviously, Simeon and Anna, it both says they were waiting. It's exact words. They're waiting for the consolation of Israel. There is some really deep spiritual thread that Luke is communicating here. Waiting, humility, obedience. These are characteristics of people that have looked to the light. They have humbled themselves and saying, I can't rescue me. I can't do this life correctly. I need help. They're waiting on God's timing, not their own. And they are 
showing their faith through their obedience. They're not earning God's favor, so to speak, but they are living out a simple but deep faith and trust in God. And that is what God is welcoming us into. God lets us in when we look to the light. It's a posture. It's, it's a stance before God. When the Bible says that, hey, you know, when we believe in God, he credits us with righteousness. Right? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's as simple as looking to the light, but it looks like a really deep thing because it changes us. <clears throat> so this is true as we begin a relationship with God. There's this cosmic thing that God is welcoming all peoples to. He's bringing light of revelation to the Gentiles. But it also is a lifelong journey. That it's not just, okay, great, I enter into a relationship with God because of what Jesus did, because of a simple just, God, I trust you. I humble myself. I need you. I'm going to wait on you. I want to give my life to you. But it's also the sense of then growing in greater revelation of light, of understanding more and more of who God is and what he is doing in this world. God is always looking to let people in. And that's available. Sorry, coming into his family is available to all people that would call on the name of Jesus. Once we've done that, there's a continual invitation to more and more revelation. Deeper and deeper friendship with God. Greater understanding for what he is doing. If you have something that is a secret. You typically don't tell anyone that secret. You would only tell it to somebody that you trust. The same is true for God in this passage. We see God is entrusting these people in Luke 1 and 2 with an amazing thing. Mary is carrying the hope of the world in her belly. Right? That is an incredible responsibility. And so God is not just going to trust that and trust that to anyone. He's looking for someone that he knows he can trust. It's the same way for us. God is always wanting to invite us into more, but he can't, he can't give us more if we're not letting his light in. If we're not showing, you know, that he can trust us through our obedience. Is tracking with this? There's a little bit of a mystery here because the invitation is always open to be part of God's family. Once we are following God, there's still more to know. I mean, think about just the mind-blowing of what Simeon experienced. Of Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Savior that I'm sending. Simeon's not, the Bible's not saying that to say, wow, look at Simeon. What an awesome dude. Too bad you'll never be like that. The Bible is, is showing that that is the narrative that should define our life. These are the stories that should help us interpret how our life is supposed to look and what it is like to walk with God. It is possible for us to hear God's voice, to have a deep friendship with him, and it's not complicated. 
It's very simple. We say, God, I look to your light. And once we've done that, then we continue to look to his light every day for everything we need. Now, I can stand here and close my eyes, right? And maybe I'll even do this. Because now the light doesn't penetrate into my brain or my eyes, right? My eyes are the light receptors, and it really is my brain that is seeing, but it's coming through my eyes. I can choose for the rest of my life to do this. My arms would probably get really tired. But at least I could keep my eyes closed really tight so there wouldn't be any light in there. But when I choose to open my eyes, the light comes in when I look to the light. Right? There's a moment when we say, I am letting you in, God, into my story, into my life. I am humbling myself. And I am submitting to your will, saying that I need a rescuer. But then we continue to do that every day. We open our eyes to the light, to what is around us. And we grow in how we see the world, in how we see it, and how we interpret what's happening around us. So it's like, okay, great, now I can see, but now I have a lifelong process of learning how to see really well. Okay. Why does it work this way? Why doesn't God just kind of give us all the light at once? You know, I mean, as soon as we say, God, help me, then we're just perfectly tracking with God, you know, forever. Why doesn't he just bring everybody into the light? Well, God likes to let people in, but we don't always like to let God in. Right? That's what God is all about. God is always looking to let people in, but people are not always looking to let God in. And we see that again in this passage. It's not the greatest of news, but Simeon takes Mary aside at one point, right? After he gives this great revelation of who this baby is, and then he takes Mary aside and offers some not-so-encouraging news. Not exactly a word of encouragement here for Mary. Now he says, Mary, right? This child's going to cause the rise and the fall of many in Israel. And, the, you know, the, what's in people's hearts will be laid bare, and a sword is going to pierce your heart also. Yikes. You know, what he's saying here is that people are going to respond to Jesus in two ways. They're either going to look to him as the light, or they're going to reject him and try to extinguish that light, which is exactly what happened. You see, the way that we respond to Jesus shows how we feel towards God. All these people are saying yes to God in Luke 1 to 2. They're saying yes to this person, Jesus, because they've already said yes to the light of God. Their hearts are already soft towards him, and they're saying yes to Jesus. I don't know if you've encountered this in your life. But a lot of times people don't really want to talk about Jesus. That reveals how they feel about God. Because he is a person of conflict. Right? He's a, he's a person that brings decision. It says that this person, Jesus, coming into the world, it's going to cause the rise and the fall of many. Some will see him as the light and they will rise. Others will fall. They will remain in the darkness. They will, they will eventually see destruction because they are refusing that light. 
It's revealing what's in people's hearts. Our response to Jesus reveals what is really in our hearts towards God. And so the sorrow that Mary is going to experience is that people are going to try to extinguish this light that is Jesus and is her son. All right, and the same is true for us today. Some people reject Jesus. Some people choose him. But it's God who is always looking to let people in. He's always wanting to let us in. A few weeks ago, I was driving to Waltham to have a, a meeting with our two other churches. It was like a big staff meeting. And I had gone to early morning prayer that day. And so I hadn't packed a breakfast or a lunch. And so I stopped at this awesome restaurant called Clover. And it, there's, one of, there's, there's some food trucks all over the city, but there's one in Burlington that's kind of on the way to Waltham. And so I, I got this breakfast sandwich, and I was, like, really excited about it. Clover, I, I like the food there. I had never had this breakfast sandwich. And so I got in my car and put it next to my seat, and I'm like, okay, you know, breakfast sandwich. Excited. I hadn't had breakfast. It was my lunch as well. It was, like, my one thing. And as I'm, like, you know, turning um, around the corner to get onto the highway, like the access road, I see a homeless guy there with a sign. And um, it basically says, hey, you know, my family and I are homeless. Please help. Something like that. And I sense the Lord say, give him your sandwich. So me, you know, being the holy man of God that I am, I said, no way. (laughs) That's my breakfast and my lunch. So as I got closer to him, you know, I sensed it again. And so what I did was I just sped up and I went right by him. I didn't get my sandwich. Got on the highway, and I was like, man, you're an idiot. I, I did not look to the light in that moment, right? I had a choice. I sensed the Lord calling me to do something that would have been pretty cool. Wouldn't have saved my soul, but it was a pretty neat thing to do, right? And that's the choice that we've got. And even in our own lives, we sense this push and pull with God, right? We want him close, but we want to run and hide. It comes all the way back to our ancestors, Adam and Eve. Because what did they do? They ran and hide, right? We want to do things our way. And a lot of times we do not think that God is wanting to let us in, that he is wanting to punish us or make us feel guilt or shame. None of those things are from God. God's always wanting to let us in. And he is light. So it's always, when he's letting us into something, it's always into goodness. It's always into the best possible thing for us. It's never into something that is going to be harmful to us. Now, it might hurt in the moment. I might have to go two meals without eating. You know, bummer. But it would have been the better thing for me. God lets us in when we look to the light. We have to look to the light. He's not forcing himself on us. He respects us too much to do that because he's not a tyrant. If he was a tyrant, he could just crack the whip and say, there you go, Brian, off the road into a car, into a ditch, and now go walk over there and give him your sandwich, right? He didn't do that. He could have done that easily. Flat tire, off the road, on the highway, crash, boom, I blow up, I'm dead. You know, anything could have happened. He didn't do that, right? He's not a tyrant. He allows us the freedom to say yes to God. And so for some of us in this room, it needs to be an initial yes and to say, God, help me. I'm in. 
I, I trust that you are a God that is always welcoming people into goodness. And that's why you sent Jesus, was to welcome me into your family, so that when I die or have a near-death experience, I will see the light. Because I've made my peace with God. Because I have said, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I humble myself. I wait on your timing. It's better than mine. And I want to walk in obedience. This is for real, God. <clears throat> for the rest of us, if you've done that before, if, you, if you're someone that says, I'm a follower of Jesus, the invitation to you is to keep looking to the light. Because when we don't look to the light, it limits what God can do. God didn't get to bless that guy that day because I said no. I regret that. And so I don't hold guilt or shame because those aren't from God, but I say, okay, Brian, let that to be a lesson. A lesson is always what God's asking you to do is the best thing for you. I'm still learning that, right? And so that's the choice for us. Let God in. Let him in. Look to his light. Look to his voice. Because he's always looking to let you in to his goodness and his light. It's always the best thing for you. God likes to let people in. He's always looking to let people in. It's what he's all about. And that's why he sent Jesus. Let's have the band come back up and we'll pray. Father, we just thank you. Help us really believe that you are good. That you're always looking to let people in. Into what you're doing all around us. But also just into your family. And the more we, we look to your light, the more you're going to be able to, to give us in terms of what we can see. And how you can work through us to bless people and to change this world. And I just thank you, Lord. The foundation is your character. The foundation of everything that we do is your character. It's that you're good and you're always wanting to let people in. Thank you so much for that invitation. Help us to look to your light. Help us to look to your light, Lord Jesus. Just help. It's a simple thing, God. It's not complicated. Every moment, Lord, every day, every place where we have a choice to disobey, to choose stress, to choose, to choose, you know, just to want to do our own thing and be selfish like I did. Lord, help. Make us aware that your light is right there, that you are right there. You have the power to help us. Thank you, Jesus. You're good. We celebrate you today in your name. Amen.